names are important. What we call things are important. Uh, for example, um, most of you, or a lot of you may think that you know my name. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Uh, if I asked for a show of hands, most people, and I said, is my name Ron Holton? You'd raise your hand and go, yeah, it's Ron Holton. But it's not actually really my name. Ron, the Holton part is, you get that part right. Ron, it's actually a nickname. No part of my legal name. Here's the deal. My name is Don R. Holton III. I'm a third. And so the problem was when I was growing up, my grandfather lived about a mile away. His name was Don. My father's name was Don. They got to me and they go, you know, this is already confusing. Here's what we'll do. We'll just drop the D and we'll take the R from the middle name and we'll just call you Ron. It's kind of a Louisiana thing that we do when we all live together in the same proximity, okay? And so that has been my name all my life. So when somebody calls on the phone and they say, Don Holton, is Don there? I go, eh, tell them, Marker, tell them, tell them I don't live here. Tell them there's no Don that's available. And I always know. I always know if somebody's legally doing that. On the same hand, if I am writing legal documents, I'm writing Don. And those who are closest to me, they, they know that. And I, I kind of look at that name and that name has a history for me. I think of my grandfather. He died when I was about five years old. But I think about his story, Don R. Holton Sr. His story was when he was nine years old, uh, he was an only child and his mother died. His mother passed away after she'd been sick for several years. And he was left to grow up with my great-grandfather who had a, a drinking problem, who worked in the sawmill, uh, but who was a pretty rough guy, kind of a distant guy. So my grandfather, from the time from he was about nine to 11 or 12, uh, he just kind of made it. And then my grand, great-grandfather remarried, but he remarried a woman who had several children. And my grandfather never felt like he really fit in there. So when he turned 14, <clears throat> he decided to drop out of school and go work at the sawmill, because that's what people did. And when he was 15, World War I broke out, and he decided to join the Navy. So he went down, signed up, joined the Navy, let his dad know he was leaving. And I was talking to my father. I said, how do you join the military when you're 15? Didn't they look at his birth certificate? He goes, birth certificate? He goes, son, none of us had a birth certificate. We're all born at the house. And he said, you know, there, there weren't, we didn't even have a doctor. He said, so yeah, if you look like you might be close to age, they took you. So at 15, he joins the military. And by the time he's 16, he's shipped off in the Navy during World War II into the war. And he serves there for a few years. He comes back and then goes, leaves for a little while and works as a um, merchant marine. And then finally comes back, meets my grandmother, starts a, far, a small farm, uh, begin to raise some crops and some cattle. And they never had much. Then they had my father, uh, Don R. Holton Jr., and his story is, is that he's growing up, and by the time he's about nine or ten years old, World War II breaks out, and my grandfather is sent back out. So my grandfather's one of those rare guys that served in World War I and World War II. Of course, when you start when you're 15, you can, you can make it that far. 
And so he's, he leaves when my, when my father is just nine or 10 years old. And so for the next four years, he's gone. There's, my father is, uh, I think, 11 by this time. He's got three little sisters and his mom <clears throat> trying to make it on this farm. So he worked hard. And when he was 12, he dropped out of school. But then my grandmother forced him to go back when he was 13. And it was tough times. And finally, my grandfather returned. He, had, he was on three different ships that got sunk during the war. You think about that. He finally made it back. And uh, he would be in and out because he continued to serve as a merchant marine. And my, grand, and my father grew up and also went into the Navy, ended up serving in the Korean War, then came back and met my mother. Uh, you know, none of them ever made any money. They just, we still have that piece of land that they farmed and they lived off of. And I don't think so much about what all they accomplished, but how much they were able to overcome. So when I see that name and I hear that name, there's a source of pride. Now, if you went into my little community of three or 400 person, everybody knows my daddy. You know what I mean? That's, everybody knows everybody else's dog. That's the community we live in. So I would identify myself as Don Holton the third. And go, oh, you're Don's boy. And I knew your, I knew your grandfather. And so that name meant a lot to me. That name still means a lot to me as I think about the meaning behind it and the history behind it. So does the name Jesus, as we will see. Matter of fact, as we look at the Christmas story, I think there's three different stages, three different phases. You see that we'll look at tonight the prophecy of the one who was to come, the name that was given the name above every name, and then thirdly, the event, the event of Christmas. The prophecy, the name, the event. Let's look at the prophecies that were given. The first one, thousands of years before Christ would come in Genesis chapter 12, verse one and two. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And then we see at the end of Genesis, probably another five, six, seven, eight hundred years later, the scepter in 4910, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. He is one of the tribes. And it says, the scepter, the rule, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes, and to him shall be obedience of all the people. Then we jump forward and we go to about 700 years before the time of Christ in Isaiah 9, 6. And titles are given. This is not the name of the Messiah, but these are the titles that he will be called. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This is 700 years before the birth of Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. In his name, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, it's quite a title. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 700 years before Christ, and then 550 to 600 years before Christ, Micah 5 2, the prophet says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, there were two Bethlehems in the greater area 
And he specifies, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, remember the prophecy about Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. In other words, the one who's come is from the past and will be of the future. Talking about the divine Christ Jesus. We see these prophecies of the one who is to come. And then we see in Matthew chapter one, the story. Now I want you to understand the history. And just as Galatians four tells us that Christ came in the fullness of time, Christ sent his son born of woman under the law. What does that mean, the fullness of time? Well, as we go back in history, we remember about a thousand years before Christ, David was on the throne and the nation of Israel was at its zenith. They were to be a light to all the world that Yahweh is the true and only God. And they were quite blessed for a while. Then under Solomon, he continued. But then after Solomon, after he died, the kingdoms were split into Israel and Judah. And from there, there were <clears throat> quite, quite a lot of disobedience, some that began to fall away from God, and eventually they all found themselves under the rule of the Assyrians, then under the rule of the Babylonians, as they departed from God, as they left him. But there was a remnant that was always crying out, and these prophecies were being given. One day, the Messiah shall come. One day, he shall come, and he shall transform the hearts of of his people and those who choose to follow him. Well, then there comes this kind of silent period that we sometimes call it, where 450 years, there are no prophets prophesying, no one speaking. But what is interesting about 450 years before Christ is there's an individual who shows up in history who's very famous, who changes the way people begin to think and will have a great impact on the Western world. This famous philosopher is called Socrates. And Socrates proposes this belief that the chief sum of man is not all that there is. That there is ultimate truth. There is an ultimate truth and ultimate reality beyond the cultures, beyond all the, the myriad of religions that tribes and cultures and countries believe. There is an ultimate truth. And he began to teach this. <clears throat> what is interesting about Socrates is that he didn't really write anything down, but he had students. And his most famous student was who? Plato, thank you. I had a little kid say Plato in the uh, last night service, but Plato, and Plato started an academy, and he began to teach the philosophies of Socrates, and he began to establish the first really unique public universities and learning centers, and education became a big deal, and he began to teach the concept that there could be one line of reasoning, one thought, one philosophy, one religion. There could be one currency, one language, and all the world could become educated and understand the teachings of Socrates and the teachings of Plato. And he began to propose this, and you started to see it begin to spread. And then he had a famous student named Aristotle. Thank you for the historian. Uh, 
Aristotle. And Aristotle was not just a philosopher, he was also a scientist. And he really had this vast vision how they could take this philosophy of life and spread it around the world, how it become more educated, how good roads could be made and how everyone could enjoy the knowledge and the understanding that there is an ultimate truth. And so he was working for a man named Philip, Philip of Macedonia, who just happened to be able to unite all the Grecian empire, so to speak. The the Greeks came together and he became the most powerful man in the world. And he had a son and his personal tutor became Aristotle. And Philip's son's name was Alexander the Great. And so Alexander the Great began to take forth this philosophy and he began to conquer the known world. And he was on his way to Egypt and eventually to India. And one of the places he was going to stop and he was going to conquer was Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, according to Josephus, the Roman historian, he came, but there was a priest, Judah, and Judah had this dream as he was praying to God. He knew that they could not withstand Alexander's army. And so he took the writings of the book of Daniel and Judah went out in his white robe and his white beard before Alexander the Great about a mile outside of the city. Um, And Alexander did something unique. He rode up to him. His soldiers wanted to go with him, but he wouldn't take. He just had two men behind him. And he went up to meet Judah. And he asked Judah why he was there. He began to talk to him and he said, we know that we knew that you were coming. Our prophecies, our teachings, our scripture teaches, taught us that one would come from the north and that he would conquer all the known world. And he would take it from the country with two horns, the Medes and the Persians who ruled that area. And one with one horn would come. And we know that must be you. Alexander. As Alexander saw the writings, he was so impressed that he left Jerusalem alone. He honored them and he left and he went and he conquered all those other lands and all those other countries. And he set up a system uh, where roads were accessible, where all the countries had connections because they were all under the rule of the Greeks. Well, we know later the Romans take over, but they use that system. They use that mindset and that culture. And the Jews will go through a lot of bad times. Uh, Alexander dies and no one cares really what Alexander said. And then it's divided up. The, the world, of course, is divided up by four generals, ultimately through two, con- two generals. And there two different generals rule over that area. The second one is very adversarial, tries to stomp out the religion of Judaism. Uh, and there's a rebellion called the Maccabean Revolt. And ultimately the Jews rebel and they find themselves Hanukkah that you see being celebrated a hundred years in peace. But then in 63 BC, um, the Romans would overtake uh, the, the nation, Judea and all of that area, and they would come under subjection. So now in this fullness of time, all of these Jews who've been waiting and they've been through these dark times. They thought they saw the light coming during the Hanukkah period, during a hundred years of rest. But now the Romans are merciless. They are taxing us. And when will the Messiah come? 
Will he ever comes? And into that spirit, into that time period, we see Matthew chapter one. Now the birth of of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she found she was found to be with child from the holy spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not fear to take Mary as your wife For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Yahshua. Jesus in the Greek. Yahshua in the Hebrew. For he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel told him, you are to name this child who has come through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a very specific name I want you to call him. I want you to call him Yeshua. Now, In the Bible, and even in history, you see something called theorphic names. Theorphic names where a god will be attached to a characteristic. It will become the name of a child. And parents are hoping to connect to that god or that power of that god, to be blessed by that god. And in the Bible, we see a lot of names like that. We see particular with the name Uh, Sometimes with L, like Daniel, and different individuals with L, L being God. But we see this specific name of God, uh, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And we see that in several names. Amaziah, Yahweh is strength. Nehemiah, Yahweh comforts. Zechariah, Yahweh remembers. Joshua, or Yahshua, is actually two names together. Yah. Or Yahweh, what you'd see was the, it could be the first letter or the first and second letter or the first and third, second and third letter. But for Joshua, the Old Testament name, Yahshua, Yahweh saves. You shall call him Yahshua because he will save the people from their sins. This prophecy is given. The name, the name that is above every name, the name in which the people had prayed and cried out for this, the most powerful name on earth, the only name by which men must be saved, Yahshua. And as Yahshua comes, then we see the event. We know the name and now the event. In Luke chapter two, the Bible tells us the event. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for taxation purposes. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up to Galilee from his town of Nazareth in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Remember the prophecy? Remember in Micah, uh, we, we saw the prophecy that out of you, Bethlehem, small town, will come the Messiah. This is in keeping with the prophecies that were given. And so 
He was to be registered with Mary. So he goes back to Bethlehem with his child that will be named Jesus. And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out of the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not just the Jews, but for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. That title Christ, it means the anointed one, the anointed one who is the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You, Here's another sign that you'll know it's him. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was within angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away, From them to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This event that has been prophesied, this event that is coming. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. We see the prophecy. We see the name. We see the event. You know, uh, boys and girls, when I was growing up, and I think I've shared this before, but my favorite Christmas song, it actually wasn't a Christmas hymn, but it also had a show, and I loved it. When I was like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, probably till I was 13, I loved it. And my favorite song and my favorite character was, guess, matter of fact, Rudolph. I loved Rudolph the Red Known Ranger. You know, we had horses and it seemed like he was a horse. I didn't understand what a reindeer was. And he had that cool nose, I thought. <clears throat> but and then you'd sing the song. And I really, really kind of connected with Rudolph because you remember the song. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. And they never let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, whatever those are. He didn't get to play them. He was outcast because his nose was blinking. It was annoying. He was different. They ostracized and marginalized him. He was off on his own. And he must have felt very self-conscious with this big red thing on his nose, always blinking. But then, guess what happened? I love this part. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And then all the reindeer loved him. Why? Not because he had a nose that blinked. Because Santa picked him. Santa chose him. Santa selected him. What he thought was awful and what he thought was his greatest curse, Santa used for his purposes. And now all the other reindeer, oh, we wish we could be like Rudolph. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. No matter how red your nose is, there's a free gift that Jesus accepts you. He accepts your faults, your weaknesses, things that people have given you a hard time about, reasons for you to feel like you don't fit in. And God says, I accept you and I will use every part of you for my glory. 
It's the grace of God. That's why we love that story. It's grace. The reindeer didn't do anything. It's what Santa did for him in spite of him. And that's us. That's the gospel that we are all trapped in our sins and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is a, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we can't be good enough. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't bake enough cookies. We can't help enough people to be pure and perfect before God. But Jesus did. And Jesus said, I select you. Will you put your trust and faith in me? Will you transfer it to me and let me forgive you and let me present you before God Almighty? That's the gospel right there. Have you done it? Have you come to that place where you've put your trust in Christ? Not in what you can do, not in your goodness, but in what Jesus has done for you and committed your life to him. I invite you to do that as we celebrate tonight, as we celebrate the prophecies that have come true, as we celebrate the name, Yeshua saved, God saves, and as we celebrate the event of Christmas, this is the time to come to know him. If you're online, I want to invite you right now. You can go online. There's a a link there that you can connect with someone. If you need prayer, if you have questions, you can do that. We want to invite you uh, to take advantage of it. If you're here in the audience, uh, there's directly behind you in the seat, uh, there's a card. I invite you to take that. If you're visiting with us, if you have a prayer request, if you have a question, if you'd say, hey, I'm ready to take a step. I want to be baptized. Whatever you, whatever God is leading you, just take that next step. Please pull that card out, fill that out, and then just drop it in the box on the way out. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that you would draw anyone who needs to know you. Lord, let this not just be a season where we come and we sing songs and we uh, go home. But Lord, if there's anyone online or here tonight that needs to know you as Savior, that they'd say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I am not going to rely on my own good deeds, but upon what you have done for me. I accept you. Lord, I'm ready to follow in baptism. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to make an impact. Lord, I need your help. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would lead them to take that step, that you might be glorified.